So what does it mean to abide in Christ? Certainly, when we gather together as God's people, there is an abiding in Christ. We are the body of Christ, and so it would be natural to say there's an abiding of Christ. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part six of Abiding in the Last Hour, a series with eight parts from 1 John chapter two with Pastor Paul Twiss. Have you ever thought about what abiding looks like? Is it meditating? Is it some kind of state of mind where we block out the world and fixate on God? Well, both could be true, maybe. Abiding in the last hour is a major theme for a believer's growth in grace. And today, Pastor Paul will provide some key explanations of abiding, something we hope you are already doing. The Apostle John wrote this letter to first century churches in Asia Minor. They deeply needed to abide in Christ. Their faith was struggling. False teachers had crept in, denying the deity of Christ. John urged them to abide in the grace of God and in Christ. Here's part six of Abiding in the Last Hour. Eternal life in John's theology is not merely a timestamp referring to ongoing existence beyond an earthly death, which is how we would often think about eternal life. I die on earth and then I live and have eternal life afterwards. It's not simply a timestamp. When you study eternal life in John, it becomes clear that he is confident believers have eternal life now. Eternal life is something that you and I enjoy right now in Christ. And if I could sum it up, I would say eternal life is the ability to enjoy and participate in the Godhead. It is that access that the gospel gives us into the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by which they welcome us to commune with them. Eternal life is something you have right now. And it is an ability to participate with and enjoy the Godhead. How do we enjoy it yet more? How do we experience that eternal life? John says, if the word abides in you. If that which you heard from the beginning, the gospel, abides in you, if you let it serve you, the full counsel of God's word in front of us, understanding that this book tells the gospel from beginning to end, it is reasonable to say if we let the the word, the Bible, the scriptures abide in us, we enjoy that eternal life. We enjoy joy in the Godhead. We start to win the battle for joy. If we let the word of God abide in us, that's when we start to live a life that is joy-filled. Now, this can be so easily lost. The wonder of what John is saying can be so easily lost on us who have such ready access to God's word. God wrote a book. 
The God who made the heavens and formed the universe wrote a book and he made it accessible to you. And not only that, but according to his wisdom, you have one of these books in your lap this evening. Whereas thousands, if not millions of Christians around the world tonight do not have the kind of access you have to this book. There are Christians around the world this evening that are hiding a page of this book somewhere on their person or in their house. There are Christians that are hiding a leaf or two of this book under their floorboards because they can't read it freely in the way that you can and they don't know when they're next going to get access to it. So there are thousands, if not millions of Christians that are memorizing chapters of this book because they just want to have access to it and they don't know when they can read it next. And we sit here, praise God, with this book in our hands. And John says, how do you abide? How do you, how do you make yourself receive grace? That present grace that you need every single day. What are the channels of God's grace? One is the fellowship of believers. Another one is this book. Which means by implication, you come to this book. You open it up day after day after day and you seek out the truth, the wonders, the glory that are in the pages of this book. And you pray earnestly, Lord, soften my heart to this book. It is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. Your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. Your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. Serve me with your word. You can't serve this book. Don't come to this book thinking that God wants your feedback or that he wants some, some critique on his word. It is there to serve you. If you would be served by this book, if you would pray that God would minister to your heart by his grace through this word day after day, you will grow in your awareness of who you are as a Christian. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, read this book and trust that in God's wisdom, according to his word, he will slowly start to build and nurture your faith. And when he does that, your assurance grows. And when you stand in a position of assuredness, that's when joy abounds. And I know that as I say this, there are many of you who do not have the relationship that you desire with this book. I know that for many of you, it is so hard to be reading God's word, opening its pages, being fed from the fountains of life that are in this book. I want to just help change your perspective. It is so often a question of perspective and the, the mindset that we have as we come to this book. It's January 1st, and here I go with my reading plan again. And by January 21, I failed. And it just feels like a millstone around your neck. 
You feel duty-bound to read this book, and yet you can't seem to do it. The concept of abiding is one of not holding on and not doing something, but allowing something to be done to you. It is closely connected to the theology of the new covenant. In fact, this passage that we have in front of us this evening, many have observed, seems to be building upon Jeremiah chapter 31, which explains the new covenant, perhaps more fully, more clearly than anywhere else in our scriptures. And the prophet says to God's people, Israel, the day is coming when God will put a new heart in you. And in that day, he will put his word in you. He will write his law on your hearts. God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Your neighbor will not need to say, no God. When the new covenant comes about, your neighbor, says Jeremiah, will not need to say, no God, because his law will be written on their hearts. That is why John keeps saying, you know this, you know this, you know these things, because it's in there. Now, let's just tease out one implication from that new covenant context. When you come to this book, you're not coming to a stranger, and you're not coming to a text that is inaccessible. You are coming to the words of life that are already in you. When you open this book, you are reading that which is already in you. You read more, you read more extensively every single corner of God's word, but it's already in there. So it's like getting connected with an old friend. Reading the word of God should be something that, that overwhelms you with God's grace. It shouldn't be a chore. When that's your mindset and you come to God's word as a, and with a sense of burden, God is not pleased with that. He wants you to delight in his word, to come to his word as the psalmist says and says, my, my mouth is open and I am panting because I desire the commandments of the Lord and know that he is pleased to give them to you. This is the second channel of grace that John identifies, he exhorts us to, to let God's word abide in us. Why? Because that is how we fight for joy. Whatever the circumstances in your life, whatever the present day trials are, and I know that right now there are many of you who are facing horrific trials in your life. And by virtue of the fact that we live in a fallen world, there are trials ahead that are terrible. And we wouldn't wish upon anyone. And we need to be asking the question, how do I fight for joy in this life? How can I make sure that in that day, I won't be so knocked off course that I lose all joy and all confidence of who I am in Christ? John says, you root yourself in the fellowship of believers and you root yourself in the word and allow both of those to serve you. And then thirdly, John goes on, 
I write these things, verse 26, to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There's new information about these false teachers. We understand they're distorting Christ and the gospel, and now he's saying they're actively trying to deceive you. This is one of the differences between a false teacher and someone who simply has bad doctrine. They are coming after you, but is the contrast, the anointing, the Holy Spirit that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. You have it in your heart, but As his anointing teaches you, as the Holy Spirit ministers you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. That last abide seems to be not a reference to the Holy Spirit, but to Christ. Maybe you would think just from reading that verse, well, the Holy Spirit's in view with the anointing, and he's saying abide in the Holy Spirit. But actually, if you look at just the next verse that we'll cover next week, Verse 28, now little children abide in him so that when he appears, clearly with Christ in view, so as he repeats the thought, we get a clearer sense of who exactly is in view when he says in verse 27, abide in him. The the summary of that statement is just as the Holy Spirit has taught you about Christ, so now abide in Christ. That's the sense of that last exhortation. Now, John's argument is almost certainly cumulative here. It's building. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? Certainly, when we gather together as God's people, there is an abiding in Christ. We are the body of Christ, and so it would be natural to say there's an abiding of Christ. And also, it would be Safe to say that as we read the word, there is also an abiding in Christ, because this is Christ's word, and it points us to Christ. So there again, there's an abiding in Christ there. But it's important to see that John didn't just leave it there with Christ inferred, but he went on to specifically say, abide in Christ. So why this third, very clear exhortation to abide in Christ? Are there other avenues of God's grace that we might explore? And there are, and I would venture to say that one that is primary in John's thought here is communion with Christ through prayer. And the reason I say that is because he's just been speaking about eternal life, which in John's thinking is a participation and an enjoyment in the Godhead. So if nothing else, simply by implication, I want to say that abiding in Christ involves, in large measure, a communing with him in prayer. And it is, of course, at this point that we realize how far short we have fallen from the opportunity to abide in Christ, that Christians can go for so long without seeking Christ in prayer. That Christians can go so long without a thought for Christ, let alone a seeking him out in communion. And then, when we do turn to him, so often it is simply to ask for something in the moment. 
how far our prayer life can look from communion with Christ, a sustained pursuit of enjoyment with Christ, how far our prayer life can look from seeking out Christ in prayer, how, yes, through asking things from him, that is a valid way of praying, but understand that is but one house in the mansion that is prayer. God has gifted you the ability to pray to Christ. You are justified, and so now they welcome you into their presence. The Godhead, think of this, it's not simply that you have access to the Godhead whenever you want, but they delight for you to seek communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is the joy of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for you to seek communion with them to rehearse the glories of the gospel to them, to say thank you to them, to rehearse the riches of their character to them, to pray scripture to God and to allow that time of communion to feed your soul. How do I fight for joy? How can I live a life that is abounding with joy until Christ returns when I step into full joy? The answer is you root yourself in the fellowship Root yourself in the word, root yourself in communion with Christ. You allow all three channels of grace to serve you and you understand how vitally important these things are, how desperately you need them because if you neglect to avail yourself of the means of grace, I guarantee you, you will start to forget what it means to be found in Christ. You will lose your joy and in one way or another, you'll start to seek for pleasures elsewhere. If ever I am counseling someone, after they have told me what the issue is, and if the issue is in any way some aspect of their life is, is not going well and they understand they're not honoring the Lord and things are maybe going off the rails, the first three questions that I ask without exception are tell me about your church attendance. Tell me about your Bible reading. And tell me about your prayer life. We'll get to the particulars of your situation in time. But I want to begin by you telling me whether you are availing yourself of the means of grace that God has given you. All through Scripture, the three primary means of grace by which we live a Christian life that is overflowing with joy because we're confident of what it means and who we are in Christ are an abiding in the fellowship of believers, an abiding in God's word, and an abiding in communion. And you are not there to serve those things, but to let them serve you. And sometimes it will be the case that not one of those channels of grace are intact. And it might be the case, if you're sitting there this evening, that you, you might be thinking, none of those channels of grace are alive in my life. If that's true, it might be that you are not in union with Christ. He gives us desires for these things when he saves us. If you 
are not exercising these means of grace, please hear the gospel and speak with someone. Jesus died on a cross to pay for sin. You had a a problem that you can't fix. Your sin. You've offended God. And the only way that you can be reconciled to him is to trust in Christ and his work as the means by which you can be saved and forgiven. And when you humble yourself to let go of your sin and to cast yourself upon Jesus, these means, these channels of grace open up and they should rightly become floodgates in your life that you are turning to every single day by which God is feeding you with present grace that you so desperately need to keep going. And it is the means by which you fight for joy. If you are not a Christian, please receive Christ. Turn from your sin. Speak with someone this evening. If you're in union with Christ, praise the Lord this evening that he makes grace available to you. And he's given you a roadmap by which you fight for joy until the very end. The roadmap is summed up in one word, and that is to abide. Let's pray to close. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have not left us to figure out how to make it to the end. But you have shown us in your word that the means by which we press on in joy is simply to abide. We allow you to serve us in the same way that you served us in saving us. It is the nature of the gospel. And here in this text, we see the the primary means of grace that you've made available to us are the fellowship of the believers, your word, and communion with you. Please work in us that we would be disciplined to pursue those means of grace, that we would delight to come here and be ministered to, that we would delight to open your word, understanding that it's already in our hearts and it's not far off, and we can drink from this fountain, and that we would delight as you delight to pursue the Godhead in communion. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, entering into your presence in prayer and being ministered to by your grace. I pray the testimony of this church would be that it's full of saints who are full of joy until the very end when Christ appears. And we pray these things in his name, awaiting his return. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. What does abiding in Christ mean to you? Could you say you're a joyful believer? Abiding with Christ and joy-filled Christianity go together. According to 1 John, they do, and it begins with obedience to Christ's commands. Something else was mentioned toward the end of this passage. John wrote, eternal life 
is promised us in verse 25. Pastor Paul said, eternal life is something you and I enjoy now. There's no waiting until Christ returns. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If you missed earlier parts of this series, we have it for you on our website, timelesstruthtoday.org. On the homepage, select Broadcast for this message as well as any others in this series. Be listening tomorrow for part seven in our series, Abiding in the Last Hour with Pastor Paul Twist. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening. The Timeless Truth Today.